Morning, church. If you would read with me in the scriptures this morning from Matthew 11, starting at verse 25. And at that time, Jesus declared, I will thank you, Father, Lord of the heaven and earth, and you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Father, we thank you for these words this morning, especially as we head into the hectic nature of the holiday season with the stress of family and relationships and the holidays and money and all of these things that just every year seem to just burden us down. Father, we know that we can give these burdens to you and we can receive yours in return. Father, be with us this morning as we learn what Chris has to bring this morning. Open our ears and our minds and our hearts to your word, to what you have to bring us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Man, what a privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord, to get to sing praises to him, to, to celebrate him. And I have to tell you, there's a couple of things that I'm excited about, and one that I am totally disqualified to teach you about today. You heard those verses. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I have zero credibility when it comes to rest. Okay, I'm just going to be honest, right? This is an area of my life that I struggle with. I struggle with taking a break. I struggle with resting in the Lord. And that's why when we have guided prayer time later, I'm going to invite Paul up for that part, right? Because he understands that. But as we dive into this week, it was so convicting to me about what it truly means for me to rest in the Lord. But before we get there, we have to talk about my favorite character and all the Bible, obviously Jesus, right? But um, my second favorite character is John the Baptist, right? I am a super fan. If you didn't know this already, I am like the fanboy of John the Baptist, okay? Amazing guy. His quotes are my life verse. Like, I am a fan. So you just need to know that when we get into this, this question today, there's kind of two theories on what's going on in that, that time. Like, I am always going to give John the Baptist the benefit of the doubt, so you just need to know that going into it because when we jump in, we see some things happening where there's a little mystery surrounding this part of chapter 11. Now remember, Jesus has just sent out the 12. He's like, go out into the towns. If they don't greet you, like shake off the dust from your feet and keep going. Do the things that you saw me do, right? Healing the sick, um, casting out demons. Do these things among the people. And when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach 
in their city. So he sends out the disciples, and then he begins to walk around Capernaum and Bethsaida and these areas around the Sea of Galilee, teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand, right? So Jesus is now beginning to walk around and teach in this local capacity that he has in around the Sea of Galilee. 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 Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So this is John the Baptist. He is imprisoned at this point because of Herod. And we're going to read a little bit of that in just a second. So he's in prison and he sends word with the disciples. And here's the question. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? I came to pave the way is that you, right? And so there's two theories behind what is going on with this question. Is John the Baptist beginning to doubt? Is he beginning to doubt whether or not Jesus really is the Messiah? Or is there something else going on? Something with his disciples and something with their beginning to question Jesus sends him. So this is what we're looking at. Which theory do we think is going to be true as we dive into this scripture? Because he's saying, are you the one? Now, let me ask you that question. Is Jesus the one? Like for you, is he the one that we follow, that we pattern our life after, that we want to know daily? Is Jesus the one? And so as we look at John and we look at this sort of theory, some people will point to Luke chapter 3. If you want to turn there with me, we're going to be around Luke and around John and these other passages. So in Luke 3 we see that John's sort of picture, remember we've been having this mold of kind of who the Messiah was going to look like. And the Pharisees were saying, Jesus, you're not, you're not matching this mold that I have for you. Look at kind of what John says here. So as the people were in expectation and all were questioning their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. So the, everybody around is like looking at John and going, are you the, like they're thinking he is baptizing people. Everybody is coming around to see John. This prophet is now speaking. They haven't heard from prophets in 430 years. This is a novelty. They're like, what is going on here? Is this the Christ? John is in a perfect position to let the people raise him up to become the one that everybody follows. But here's John's testimony. John answered them saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He's like, you think I'm the Messiah? Like, I can't even touch this guy's sandals. Like, like who am I? I? I am the least of these. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so, with many other exhortations, he preached the good news of the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. So why was John imprisoned? Because he spoke out against Herod and the things that Herod, the king of the Jews at this point, the things that he was doing. All right. So did Jesus meet this mold of John? So some people say, no, John had this expectation of Jesus that he wasn't going to meet. And that's why John began to doubt. Here's the problem with that. When you look at John the Baptist and you look at his character throughout the Bible, does he seem like a guy that doubts? 
Like, think of John. Think of John the Baptist. In fact, let's look at another passage. Look back at Luke chapter 1, a couple pages earlier. Look at how John, before he was even born, was being set apart for the Messiah. Do you remember Zechariah, his dad, began to doubt, right? He doubted. He's seen angel Gabriel talk to him. He doubts. Boom, he's mute. And they can't talk until they say his name is John and he writes it on the scroll and then boom, his mouth is open and he gives this amazing song just celebrating John and celebrating what God had done. Look what it says in that song towards the end when it talks about John the Baptist. It says, you child will be called the prophet of the most high and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So from the moment John was born, even before that, remember John leapt in the womb, Whenever Mary came up to Elizabeth. So from that point of conception, John has been paving the way for the Messiah to come. He knew from the beginning, from his childhood, you are going to be the one that brings about the ushering in of the kingdom of God. If you go back to John chapter 1, I guess you're going forward to John chapter 1 actually. Um, Look at the testimony of John in this. Because what we want to do is, here's the character of John that we see is this the kind of person that's going to be doubting? Look what it says in verse 19 of chapter 1 of John. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. This is Isaiah 40, verse 3. I'm the one making straight the way for Jesus to come. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. Here we go. Here's the Pharisees, right? They're kind of stirring stuff up. And they asked him, then, why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John is bearing witness 
that Jesus is the Son of God. He's seen it at his baptism when the heavens opened and God's voice came out and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. John was a witness to that. So John saw these things. And in fact, Jesus himself gives witness. If you go back to Matthew, John, I mean, John gets witnessed by Jesus who says, who did you come out to see? This is down in verse 7. A reed shaken by the wind? Was John the kind of person that was shaken or tossed to and fro by the people that are around him? When you imagine John the Baptist out in the wilderness, right, with the crazy camel hair, I just imagine crazy hair and crazy eyes, right? And he's like, you brood of vipers, and he is just bringing it, right? He is like, the, you imagine the fire and brimstone person. This is John. He's just telling it like it is. Like, you need to get in the water. You need to be forgiven of your sins. Get in here, right? And he's just going at it. Was he the kind of person to shrink back from proclaiming Jesus? So if he wasn't that kind of person, what's going on? Wonder what was happening with his disciples. Because at this point in our story in Matthew 11, John has been in prison for almost a year. And so you have John imprisoned by Herod. You have John's disciples stuck in the middle between John in prison and the Pharisees who are whispering in the air. Do you remember, in fact, back in Matthew chapter 9, the disciples of John came to Jesus and asked him a question. Do you remember? Well, why do we and the Pharisees fast and your disciples do not fast? And they're already beginning to, to waver on the side, leaning towards the side of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, what was their view of Jesus at this point? Was it that he was the son of God or was that he was doing this by the power of the enemy? See, the Pharisees were pushing back against Jesus' ministries. And here's John's disciples stuck in the middle of all of these things. And so John, I believe, John the Baptist sends them to Jesus to ask a question. Who are you? Now, one of the reasons I understand this, if you're a parent... You understand this, right? Now, if you're a parent and you talk to your kids, for example, when our kids were all the way through high school, they had to leave their phones in our room at night when they went to bed, okay? You're the only people who make us do this. Why do you hate us, right? And they would just like lament the fact that they, you know, you cannot have your charger in your room. Your phone has to go, yes, I know your password, but you might look at my phone. Exactly. Yes, I'm going to look at your phone, right? This is the rule that we have in our house, right? This was the rule. We're the only one in the whole world, right? And they just, I'm like, really? Go ask the questions. Go ask the penny pins. Go ask these people. Go ask them if that's what happens, right? And what happens when they go ask them? Yeah, they do it too, right? There's just, this is just a rule. I mean, we just have this rule, and some of us were in cahoots together to have that rule for our kids, right? They, we're like, hey. You don't believe me. You don't believe my testimony about who I say Jesus is. Go ask him. Here, I'm going to send you with this question. Go ask Jesus, who is he? And Jesus gives this astounding answer to them. Look what it says in verse 4. Here's Jesus' answer to the question, are you the one? Are you the one who is to come? Is this, are you the one who is supposed to be the Messiah? And look at Jesus' answer to them. It says, go Tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
So here's Jesus' answer to them. Go tell John these things. And he begins to quote from the book of Isaiah, from chapter 35, from chapter 61, from chapter 8. He begins to give them these quotes to say, this is who I am. Here's what he says first, right? Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. We've seen that, haven't we, in the last few weeks? The blind being two blind men, remember, receiving their sight. Uh, The lame walk, remember the man on the mat, right, being let through the roof, right? We see the lepers are being cleansed. Remember, Jesus touched him and said, you're cleansed. He touched the leper, right? The deaf hear, the mute can now sing, right? And the dead are raised up. Remember the Jairus' daughter, get up, daughter, and walk. We've seen all these things. Well, this is a quote out of Isaiah chapter 35, starting in verse 5. Look what he says in Isaiah 35. We've turned back. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And they shall, then the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And the waters break forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. That when the Christ comes, these things are going to take place. But something interesting happens here. If you go back, if you're looking at it in Isaiah 35, and you look back a few verses, Jesus purposely left out part of this prophecy that's being talked about. In fact, let's go back to verse 2. It says, it shall, be, it shall blossom abundantly, talking about the wilderness, and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. And then in verse 3, it says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the weak knees. Why wouldn't he quote this part if John was doubting? Why wouldn't he tell John, John, right, don't have an anxious heart. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, and he will come and he will save you. Why wouldn't he tell John that? Because John isn't going to be saved. In fact, look what happens next from prison, okay? Look what happens next. He quotes out of Isaiah 61. Turn there with me. Here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Good news preached to the poor. But doesn't he leave out part of the verse? In fact, if you were John in prison right now, wouldn't you hope he finished the verse? Look what the rest of this verse says. It says, proclaim liberty to the captives and open the prison to those who are bound. I mean, if you're John in prison, did did he say anything else? He said something to Isaiah. Did he did he keep going? What about this being let out of prison? Did he say that part? Like, no. Are you sure he didn't say that part about liberty to captives? Like, no. He just said, you know, preaching the gospel to the poor. Are you sure? Because John's in prison. He's like, listen, if you're the Messiah, I'm your messenger. I'm in prison. Hey, over here. But yet. Is that John's heart? In fact, let's go back. I'm going to read one more story for you out of John chapter 3. Okay? Look at John chapter 3. This is John's testimony again about Jesus. Notice in reference to Jesus' answer, notice how John begins to exalt Christ. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing, and Enon... 
near Salim because the water was plentiful there. And the people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, who was, who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness? Look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. So here's John's disciples stuck in the middle, right? Being questioned like, John, everybody's going to Jesus. Your ministry's falling apart. What, what are you going to do, right? What, what are you going to say? Everybody's going to follow him. And here's John's answer. And John said to them, um, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Woo! Do you understand that in our lives? We cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to us by God. Every good and perfect, perfect gift comes from above is how James puts it. Do you realize that everything that you have is from the Lord? All of it. John does. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Here's John's picture. Listen, I'm the groomsman. Like I am standing by and I'm cheering on Jesus as he wins his bride, his bride, the church. I'm like, yes. Who is the groomsman? Be like, get out of the way, groom. I'm here. No, no, you're supposed to. My job is to stand in the back, to lead the way, to pave the way for you all to be able to meet Jesus. And he says this, he must increase and I must decrease. Man, what, a, what an amazing verse. He must increase. I must decrease. And that's so true of us today, isn't it? In every situation, in every way, we want Jesus' name to be made more of and our name to be less. More of him, less of us. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony he sets his seal to this, that God is true. Do we believe it? God is true. So here's John's testimony so far, right? Every good thing comes from the Lord. He must increase and I must decrease. And God is true. God's true. This is his testimony to them. For he, who, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. And the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That if we want to know Christ, we have to surrender. Right? We have to come to him and follow him. This is John's testimony. So John is given this testimony of who Jesus is. And then Jesus reiterates that. He tells them out of the book of Isaiah, this is who I am. Then look at verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, 
Those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he who, of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. This is a quote out of Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. But I, like, I love what it says. I send my messenger before your face. It's one thing to like tell someone in a text message. It's one thing to kind of talk to them from afar. But when you begin to get in their face, right, it's like, look, John came. He got in your face and said, hey, get ready. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Guys, get ready. He's coming. Be ready. He is here. And yet the people ignore him. In fact, the final part of that was blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Right? This idea that Jesus came and he became a stumbling block to the people all around him. Because when Jesus came and proclaimed who he was, the Jewish people couldn't handle it. They're like, but you don't meet the criteria you don't meet the thing that we want to be this r- military ruler that sets us free from underneath of Rome. No, he came as a suffering servant, the Lamb of God, the one who's going to set us free from our sins. And he continues. Look at verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Here's the testimony of Jesus about John. There's never been a greater man than John. Right? In fact, a lot of people, when they read this, they think of this as being Jesus' like eulogy to John because John is never going to get out of prison. He's going to die in prison in a, with, a, with a beheading that we're going to talk about in chapter 14, this death in prison, and here's Jesus sort of giving this testimony, right? this eulogy to John of what kind of man he was. No one greater has there been than John the Baptist. But then he says this, it's interesting, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Because you see, John was the last of the prophets before the ushering in of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The old covenant, which will now be fulfilled in Christ, this new covenant to come. That the first will be last and the last will be first. This is idea wrapped into this life of John. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. That since John burst on the scene, the people's hearts have been stirred and the Pharisees have begun to rise with violence against the movement. And the violent take it by force. And what's going to happen with Jesus? The Pharisees are going to take him by force and yell, crucify him. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. John was the last of the prophets. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And this phrase is going to come in as we begin to talk about the parables. As Chad brings the word in a couple weeks about these parables, he's going to say this term again and again. Do you want to hear it? He who has an ear, let him hear. When we read the Bible, do we want to hear what it says? Do we want our lives to be adjusted to what it says? And then at this point, Jesus turns his attention away from John, says, do you want to be a John, one of the greatest men ever born of woman? You want to be one of these men that testifies, um, he must be greater, right? We must become least. This person, or do you want to be a part of this generation? Because he switches, he says, but to what shall I compare this generation? 
It's like a child sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and did not, you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. He describes John with all this prophecy and all this scripture, right, in this beautiful way. How does he describe the people of this generation? With a kid's song. How? We played the flute and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they said, he has a demon. Here's John denying self, wearing camel's hair, eating locusts and honey, and they're like, no, 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 you're not good enough according to the law. You're not good enough. You're, you're doing the work of the enemy. And here comes Jesus, right? And the Son of Man came, eating and drinking. And they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So deny self, do it all, not good enough. Friends with the broken, the one that heals, the sick need a healer, not good enough. You see, the law is never going to make us good enough. The law becomes this judge for us. And then he compares them to the cities that we heard about earlier. It says, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That if we could look around and we see the works of God all around us, how can we not praise we look at the world and we look at the things that are going on around us and the craziness that God steps in and creates a way for us to know him through Jesus. And then he says something that is fascinating. Verse 28, he gives us an invitation. He says, come to me, all who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. And let me ask you this. Are you tired? Are, do you feel the weight of the world, of the bills, of your workplace, of your family, of, of raising kids in our world today? Do you feel the weight of those things upon you? If you do, Jesus is inviting you, come to me. Come, come to me. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to know you. It's the invitation, come to me. Who? All who labor and are heavy laden. Aren't we so busy so busy. And you live in Kyle. We're so busy and we can't even get there on time anymore. There's so much traffic. And then by the time you beat the traffic, there's a train. And then it stops for another train. And they're like, how do I get out of here? They built cement now. They can't even escape. It's crazy around here, right? Man, we're so busy. What if we were able to take off that burden and lay it down 
at the feet of Jesus. Let him change our heart and our mind and our soul, and he will give you rest. What does this idea of rest mean? Does it mean like you're going to now get to retire? You're now going to get to kick your feet up, grab the remote, and all day, like, click, thumb curls, right? Your workout. Oh, put leg curls, put my, my seat back down to walk and get a drink to come back and kick it back up. Is that rest? When you begin to look at rest biblically, right, you see, if you think of rest as being like a recipe, right, you see peace. The first component is peace, right? You throw a little bit of peace in the pot, right? And then next you have this contentment, this kind of fulfillment that's there. Because remember, in the very beginning, God rested on the seventh day. He wasn't physically tired, right? He rested. There was a peace about all that he made. It was very good, right? There's a contentment or fulfillment that was there. And then there's this idea of us taking a break from our work so that we can be refreshed and, and reconnect with God in this time. This is the idea of Sabbath. So we take these components, right, peace and contentment and fulfillment and, and throw in a little bit of a physical rest to reconnect and we stir it up and then we step back and we let it simmer. Come back, stir it up, let it simmer. This is why I'm bad at barbecue, by the way. I don't have the patience for barbecue, all right? Some of y'all do. I'm like, just, just slap it on there. And when it gets dark, turn it over. Yay, done, right? And it's like you cut it open, it's bleeding. I mean, it's just, I'm, I don't even try. I just have friends like y'all who can cook really good, right? Um, man, that patience, that rest to let it fulfill its purpose and simmer. Have you had that rest in your life? Because look what he says next. Take my yoke upon you. Like, What? I thought we were going to rest. Isn't the yoke the thing for work? Like, I thought we were going to rest, kick up. No, no, no. Take my yoke upon you. Now, this yoke was this wooden beam, right, that would connect two oxen together, right, and had these straps that would, like, go around your neck, and it would strap you in, and you were connected, right? In fact, here's a picture of a yoke with two oxen. Now, you could talk about all the really positive ideas of a yoke. When these two oxen were going together in the same direction and connected, it would increase their strength two or three times as much strength when they were yoked together. But yoke feels like work, it feels like a connecting, but man, what if we were that connected to Jesus? My yoke is easy. You see, this idea of yoke was this idea of you're now taking on the priorities and the teachings of your rabbi. In fact, in the Jewish culture, this idea of yoke, they would say, you need to take on the yoke of the Torah, the yoke of the law. Right? That was what the Jewish people would say. When they talked about this term yoke, they're taking on the yoke of the Torah. But listen, not just the Torah law, but also the 613 laws of the Pharisees that were to protect you from breaking the laws of the Torah. So they made laws to protect you from laws to protect you from laws, right? And that was supposed to be easy. But Acts chapter 15 says, no. In fact, Peter, when he's talking to the council in Jerusalem, is like, why are you trying to put the yoke of Jewish on them? These Gentiles have been saved. Why are you trying to make them bear these things of circumcision and all these things? No, the Holy Spirit has come upon them. We are saved by faith through grace. Grace alone is the key to this rest. So take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So here's the idea. When we take a yoke upon us, right, when we get together in this yoke, what is the purpose? We are now committing to where Jesus goes, I go. 
I want you to imagine this picture. You are now yoked with Jesus. That means where he goes, I go. Anybody good at three-legged races? Anybody remember those? Do we still do those? Or is that one of those too dangerous for regular things to do in PE anymore, right? Like bombardment, right? Now it's called dodgeball, right? But back in the day, we had three-legged races, right? And so they would take your leg and another person's leg and, like, strap it with that Velcro. I was awesome. Part of the reason I was awesome, though, is I could kind of lift this person up. Right, I'm like, let's go, right, and we just run with them. They're off the ground, right, when we have to make a turn, I'm like, let's go, just pick them up and just keep going. We're super fast, right, super fast, super coordinated. But when you're in a three-legged race, what happens if I go left and they go right? On the face, right? We just face plant because you're connected like this and you go down, right? What if you were yoked to Jesus and Jesus is like, we're going this way, and you're like, no. I want to go this way, right? And you begin to fight against each other. And we're expending a lot of energy just for Jesus to go. Let's go this way, right? When you're yoked to Jesus, right, it's not only this idea of joining to Christ in a relationship that cannot be separated, but it's about submission. I know, not a popular word. But we are called to submit to Christ, to lay down our desires in order to be going in the same direction that Jesus is calling us to do. And when we do, we can learn from him. Oh, man, every time we get to this turn, Jesus goes this way. Every time we get to this spot, he slows down. Or, oh, when we get to this hill, he always speeds up. It's, As Jesus goes, I want to go. This is what discipleship is. That we're so in tune with Jesus that where he goes, I go. Are we that in tune with Jesus, because if we are, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Whew. Anybody's soul need rest. Remember, the soul is that representation of our heart and our mind and our will, that our heart is at rest, that our mind, with all the crazy thoughts that are going around there, are at rest, that our will has rest in God. So this means that our heart is at peace. Remember our definition? A little bit of peace, a little bit of contentment, right? Is your heart at peace? When the emotions begin to well up, are you able to get, have peace in the Lord? That transcends understanding. Is your mind content? Not coveting, not looking at something else, wanting something that isn't ours. Is our mind at peace with God? Content, fulfilled. Is our will his will. Is our will so in tune that when he turns left, we turn left? This is what this yoke is saying. If you want an easy yoke, connect to Jesus. And where he goes, we go. And we're able to submit and learn how to live a life according to his ways, not our ways. And then he says this in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That when you have peace, regardless of the situation you're in, you can handle it. That when you're content and fulfilled in Christ, there's just something different about the way the world looks and the way the world works. And then when we're so connected with God's will, he steers us away from the stumbling blocks in order to be exactly where he wants to be on that path, the straight and the narrow. All right? Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for loving us enough to invite us into relationship with you. Lord, I pray that those of us that are weary and heavy burden, Lord, that we will find rest for our souls in you. And Lord, as we get ready to just have a time of rest and reflection right now, Lord, I pray that you'll help us 
to understand who you are, the beauty of your name, the beauty of your ways. So Lord, help me submit to you in every way. The Lord, when I try to pull my own direction, Lord, that I will choose to follow you. So Lord, I thank you that you've given us an encouragement, Lord, to come, those of us who labor and heavy burdened, and you will give us rest. So Lord, give us that, this rest this week so we can be in your will. Lord, as we reflect on you, may this be just a sweet time of worship and praise. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Well, I'm going to rest as well. I wanted to um, spend some time with you and talk about what it really means to uh, rest in the Lord as, as Chris was describing. And I was just thinking about Jesus as I read about him in the Bible. And do you ever get the impression that he was in a rush? I certainly do not get that impression. In fact, uh, I mean, even though there were, you know, opportunities and times where he could have run out of a room when everybody, the mob was coming, never felt like he was racing to get out or go somewhere. Always seemed like he had that perfect peace. He just trusted in his heavenly father. And we're called to do the same as believers in Christ. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is to really understand all of who God is. Um, his nature, his character. Um, there are so many names that we can look to God as who, who he is. Uh, and I want to share a few of those names with you as we consider um, who God is and as we pray to him for perhaps some particular needs you may have, um, especially as we're entering into the holiday season. And there's so much to be thankful for. And yet, even in the midst of those opportunities for us to be thankful. There are also trials and tribulations that we're facing. There's sin that we have to deal with. Um, there's temptations that we wrestle with. But God is greater, greater than all of those things. Um, and so the first thing that I want to um, talk about is God, He is our provider. And one of the names that we know we can cry out to God in calling Him is Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. So as you think about your present circumstance, perhaps it's a financial need or maybe it's um, a job situation, a relationship that you're looking to reconcile with, um, God can provide for all of those needs. And so let's, let's take a moment to pray to Jehovah Jireh. Father, you are Jehovah Jireh. And Jehovah Jireh, we cry out to you in the name that we can recognize to help us know that you are the one who provides. You provide a way when we see no way. There is nothing that is too hard for you. And Jehovah Jireh, I pray that my brothers and sisters in this room and those that are watching, oh Lord, that they would remember that you are the God who provides. Help us not to get in the way of that provision, Lord, where we try to do it ourselves. But, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that you're the one that's going to make that provision by whichever means you choose. I pray that we would trust you, Jehovah Jireh. 
thank you for being the God who provides. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you have brothers and sisters, perhaps even yourselves. You're dealing with an infirmity, a sickness, a disease, um, and you want that healing. And we can cry out to Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who heals. And even beyond the healing physically that we would love to experience, there's one healing that's greater than all. And that is that healing from being separated from God. It's the healing that Jesus gives us and that he forgives us of our sins. He takes upon those sins. He's righteous, and that brings us into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So as you think of those who you are praying for who are sick, I would also ask, in case they're not saved, you would pray for their salvation right now because that's the greatest healing that we could ever receive have that eternal life. So let's pray together. Yahweh Rapha, you are our healer. You are the great physician. You are the one who restores. You bring things together that need to be mended, that need to be healed, that need to be um, fixed in our bodies, Lord. But even greater than that, Yahweh Rapha, you're our healer in that you give us eternal life when we place our faith in you. Thank you, God, for making a way for us. We bless you, Yahweh Rapha. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Um, holidays can seem uh, sometimes that make you feel like you're alone. But you're not alone. Um, God is also known as El Roy. He's the God who sees. And he sees you right where you are. He is with you wherever you are. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, there is no place that you can hide from our Heavenly Father. There's no place that you can go to where El Roy will not see you. And so let's, let's give El Roy thanks for being the God who sees. Elroy, you are the God who sees. You see more than our physical location. You see our hearts. You see our minds. You know what we're wrestling with, Elroy. And we want to lay those at your feet, Elroy. Forgive us for thinking that you're not there with us at times of great distress or just experiencing loneliness. You are there, Elroy. You see us. Thank you for being present always. We bless your holy name, Jesus. Amen. And Chris talked a little bit about this. We know that Jesus is our peace. Another name that we can recognize God as is Yahweh Shalom. Shalom. Yes. Let's pray to the God who gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Yahweh Shalom. I pray that your peace would rest upon your people at this time. 
I pray that we would lay aside every distraction. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your shalom would cause us to trust you knowing that there is nothing that is outside of your control. We lay before you Yahweh Shalom anxiety. We lay before you Yahweh Shalom depression. Yahweh Shalom, we lay before you frustration and bursts of anger. Forgive us, Yahweh Shalom. We lay before you wrong thinking. And we ask that your mind, Jesus, you would give us your mind so that we can rest in the Yahweh Shalom that you give us. Thank you for being in control. Thank you that there is nothing, nothing that you cannot overcome. I pray this day that we would walk out here knowing that your shalom is with us. In Jesus' name we pray. So as you make your way out, church, I want to remind you that this evening we have our banquet, and it'll be at 6 o'clock. You can show up a little bit early so we can get you in through the doors, but we're going to gather and celebrate what the Lord has been doing and what the Lord has placed on our hearts to be able to cast that vision with you. And we're really excited, so we hope that you will make it here tonight at 6 o'clock. Even if you haven't signed up, hopefully Melody's not listening, you can come anyway. Yes, they'll make room for you. We will make room for you. But go in the peace of the Lord. Exodus reminds us that His peace, the Lord's peace, is with us wherever we go. So go, and He says there, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God bless you.